and welcome back to Redirected. My name is Andrew East, and this is a show where we sit down with celebrities, athletes, entrepreneurs, anybody who's experienced a pivot or change in life. At some point or another, we all go through them. And so I wanted to sit down with people who have made it through these changes well in order to glean wisdom for myself and share that wisdom with you. Today, we are continuing our Forbes 30 Under 30 series, and we're joined by Christina Rakestraw, who is a Stanford graduate. She's a Stanford student athlete and the co-founder of Homeroom, which is a platform all about after-school enrichment. Christina talks to us about what it was like to transition out of Stanford student athletics and into a different career. She taught for a little bit and then realized that that wasn't for her and how she was ultimately able to co-found this company. And she has some really good things to say, some really unique insight. And she talks to us about what she's up to now. And so if you want to find out more about Christina and the things she's involved with, we'll link that down below. We're honored that Christina joined us today. And before we jump into this interview with her, if you haven't given the show a subscription or rated it, please do so on whatever platform you're listening to. I hope you enjoy this interview. And without further ado, Christina Rakestraw. Christina, thank you so much for joining today. It is truly an honor to meet you. Yeah, it's nice to meet you as well. Um, so I'm excited for our conversation and I'm impressed with your resume as I've researched it. I do love if you could start off kind of setting the foundation for where you came from, um, what like the potted version of your bio and how you got here today. Totally. Um, yeah, no, it's great to connect and um, love love the podcast that you've started and, and think it's really interesting. Um you know, I'm reflecting a lot about how we all have different versions of ourselves and how do we bring those out. So for me, my background, um, I grew up in a household where my dad was very competitive. I did a lot of sports, um, professional, or not professional, um, select <laughs> soccer, select basketball. Um, and then going into to high school, I got really involved with rowing. Um, and so rowing became my sport. It was interesting because no one at my high school knew that I got really competitive with rowing. And so at high school, I was known as this like very academic student body president, like, you know, really involved. And then I also yeah. had this very athletic side. Um, and then when I went to college, I um, went to Stanford for undergrad. I rowed at Stanford. And so all of a sudden I was known as Christina the rower and um, met an incredible community there. Um, rowing at a D1 school is like just a, an opportunity that I'll never regret. And um, so amazing to be able to represent a school. Um, but when I was in school, I have always loved working with children. My mom was a preschool teacher and she started a school. And so growing up, I worked with her school. I worked with um, students in our community. And when I was at Stanford, people would always joke like, well, you didn't go to Stanford to be a preschool teacher, did you? Like you can't take this incredible education and go be a preschool mm. teacher, which is kind of a bummer because yeah. a lot a lot of thoughts on teaching and you know, um, it's an interesting profession with a lot of really talented individuals. And I definitely felt this pressure that I had to do something competitive. And so yeah. um, every summer I tried to go out for competitive internships. I did some consulting stuff. I worked at some startups. Um, and finally, my senior year, I just go, well, wait a second. I love working with kids. Why don't I go work with kids? Because I don't want to leave my Stanford experience, which I really, really loved, and not be excited about that post-grad life. And so mm. I actually decided to go teach. Um, I'm from the West Coast. I tried out the East Coast. I went and taught at a, a school out on the East Coast. 
um, met an incredible group of colleagues who um, came from all over the East Coast, very different backgrounds. Um, they would always joke that I was like very Silicon Valley. I would like create Google Docs for, for team meetings and things like this. And I was like, I guess I am like kind of techie. Um, <laughs> But I just like, I have to say like teachers are just the most incredible group of humans. They do so much and they don't even know, know that they're doing so much. Um, so while I was teaching, yeah. I loved that group, but I knew that I probably wasn't going to stay in teaching long term. And so when I was leaving, I was thinking through like, what do I want to do next? You know, do I jump into the Silicon Valley tech bubble? Do I you know, stay related to schools. And um, something that I found is a lot of companies in the K-12, like education space, stay really broad with K-12. Um, but the reality is that what a kindergartner needs versus what a 12th grader needs is very different. And, you know, I know you guys just had your first child and I'm sure you're seeing as she grows, it's very different in every stage. And so- wow. For me, I was like, okay, I want companies really focused on like early education and what do kids need when they're younger and um, didn't find what I was looking for, talked to different companies. Um, it's kind of interesting, you know, that transition from, you know, athlete to teacher to what do I want to do? People really sometimes only see one dimension of you. Mm -hmm. And for me, I was like, yes, I've been a teacher, but I actually have a lot of other skills. And so that was an interesting experience to transition from teaching to looking back into the more kind of business sector. And so ultimately what I ended up doing is in 2015, I reconnected with a former Stanford classmate and we started a company called Homeroom. Um, so we launched that in 2015, um, started out with this premise of, you know, all these teachers are looking for supplemental income. We all know in the U.S. teachers don't make a lot of money. And parents are looking for additional activities for their kids, whether it's just exposing them to really incredible content or mm -hmm. looking for additional hours. You know, the average school day is five and a half hours. Parents are working for eight. We've got this gap in between. Um, so, yeah, so launched Homeroom in 2015. I won't dig so much into that just yet. I'll let you keep going with your questions. But yeah. um, that was kind of my last... 10 years of my life. Wow. So I do want to geek out a little bit um, yeah. on your rowing career. First of all, it's interesting yeah. in high school, it seemed like you were branded quote unquote as the academic. And then in college you were known as an athlete, but you grew up in Bellevue, Washington. Is that right? I did. Yes. Okay. So I am a recent uh, finisher of the book boys in the boat. And yeah. you know, that Bellevue, Washington seems to be the, the Mecca for rowing. Um, yes. how long did you row for? So I actually didn't get into rowing until my junior year of high school. Wow. And so, um, what's interesting about rowing is that it's not a lot of um, schools. It's usually a club program. And so our, our high school didn't have a rowing team. So I would go over to Seattle and row for a team. And so I think that's why people didn't know that I had gotten into it because it was, it was disconnected. So I went from doing like, you know, like a high school track team, high school soccer to yeah. I left those sports and then went and did club on the side. Yeah. So I've, I've had the opportunity to walk around the Stanford campus and yeah. the number, the sheer quantity of varsity sports they have there. I think it's probably, it's gotta be one of the most in, in all of the U S colleges. Vandy doesn't, Vandy has like eight men's sports and five women's and Stanford, you have 
these massive facilities for every sport imaginable. Oh gosh, yeah. And what a cool environment to have your D1 athletic career based out of, you know? I know. I think, um, I don't know the exact statistic, but I remember in college we would joke, I think it was like one in five students of the undergrad wow. were, were varsity athletes. Yeah. And I'm, so it's funny cause I'm really tall. I'm five eleven, And in high school, I always felt very awkward cause I was tall and I got to Stanford and I was like standing up taller. I was like, look at all yeah. these like tall, amazing athletes. It was, was kind of yeah. nice to feel more comfortable. Not to stretch a metaphor here, but I'm curious. Yeah. I don't know what your high school experience is like, but at Stanford, when I didn't know that one in five students were athletes and obviously Stanford has a pretty solid academic reputation too. Did being in that environment of other ambitious, talented, um, disciplined students make you quote unquote, stand up taller, like, and, and kind of think bigger in, in a sense. Yeah. I mean, I think it was it for me. Um, I never felt like worried that, oh, this person's smarter or this person's stronger. Like when I got to the rowing team, like I was surrounded by gold medalist Olympians. Like our team had the top of the top and I just felt honored to be on that team. And then yeah. same thing in the classroom. Like I always felt like, you know, I'm excited to be here and participating and I feel like I am providing value, but I felt inspired by people around me. And I think, yeah, again, coming from that athletic background, like I was always so impressed at, okay, look at this incredible athlete who's like kicking ass, excuse my language, like on the football field. And then like, yeah. oh, did you know they also started this company and they also are like the top of their class over here. And so right. it's, it's a really like incredible mix of you can bring all these different talents to the table. Yeah. And then I'm curious, because uh, this takes a certain type of courage, I think, or perspective. Uh, your senior year, you mentioned you transitioned from kind of, feeling pressured to do the Silicon Valley or do something other than what you felt like you wanted to. And then senior year, you said, Hey, you know what? I love kids. I'm just going to do that. Was there a, a mentor or an event that helped you have that confidence and just take that leap and go all in? Yeah, it's a good question. I think, um, for me, it was, it was almost inspired by my Stanford experience because I felt so much joy when I was on campus. I didn't want to end my four years and not be excited about what I was doing mm -hmm. next. And so um, when I was applying to jobs my senior fall and I would kind of go to some of these interviews and it was like, oh, you know, this might look great on my resume. But I, I went and visited this one school because I was kind of simultaneously exploring both. And I've just learned over my, for myself over the years, I'm such a gut person. Like I can't always articulate why I do things, but I just have this feeling. And I mm -hmm. visited this campus and, you know, it was just, you know, beautiful East coast school. The, you know, the staff is incredible. The grounds are like, these are like rolling greens, beautiful white buildings. And I was like, this feels like a place I could be happy in. So it was, it was a total gut feeling. And, wow. um, I felt like it was, it was nice because I, was telling myself at that moment, you know, you're not going to be locked into it. Just go try it. Um, but yeah, I'm kind of just a, a gut person. That's great. Um, how long did it take you in teaching to realize that you probably weren't going to be a teacher in the traditional sense, uh, for the rest of your career? Yeah. So it was actually a two year program. And so I went in knowing it was two years I gotcha. and, um, I actually decided, um, 
you know, there's a lot of great uh, ways to get into teaching out of, out of college, but I actually went and worked at a private school because you can go work there right out of undergrad. And I figured at that point I wasn't ready to invest in graduate school and getting my credentials. And so this was a really great opportunity to just kind of jump in right away and, and work directly in the classroom. So I kind of knew going in, it was going to be two years. That's great. I would love for you, um, as broadly or narrowly as you feel you want to, uh, talk about like the problem of our educational system. I feel like as a new parent, you know, I'm, I'm just now kind of stepping into that world and it's like, you know, we have a one-year-old and we're already thinking about, okay, she has to go, if we want her to go to this high school, she needs to go to this middle school and this elementary school. And then you realize also like talking to other parents, the teachers, you know, parenting is super hard so much so that I feel like a lot of parents use teachers as babysitters more or less. Right. It's like, Oh my gosh, here go, go spend time with them. So in my mind, it's like, Oh my gosh, not only are these, these, you know, teachers molding my child's brain, but they're also, you know, in charge of setting the culture of a classroom. And, um, there's so many different aspects to it where it's like they're heroes, they're not compensated well. What's the deal in the U.S.? Yeah, gosh, yeah, light, light question. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I think it's so hard because, and I was just talking with a friend the other day who's still teaching. There's so much effort to try to solve things at a national level sometimes, and and sometimes it really is like from the grounds up. And mm-hmm. where you see schools that are doing really well or districts that are doing really well, it's kind of like started internally. Um. I'm, I'm someone who never felt like I could, could solve that big question. Um, I think for me, when I was in the classroom, it was, here's me, here's, here's my Mm -hmm. co-teacher. You know, we've got these 25 students. If, you know, if we can inspire these 25, then, then we're trying to do our job. Um, But, oh gosh. Yeah. I don't even know where to start with that one. It's just like, to me, when I, there's too many problems and my husband and I don't have kids yet. And we just, I just tell him, I'm like, you know, ultimately when we, when we do have kids, when we do send them to school, find a great community and recognize that going to school is just one part of your child's learning experience. There's, you know, the, the peers that they're surrounded with and the things they can do outside of school. But um, yeah. And then 2020 throws a whole nother curveball into that. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, So it's, it's really, uh, I think insightful that you looked at the K-12 grouping and said, wow, this, this doesn't seem to be uh, focused enough. And you, from my understanding, kind of broke that down. And that's, that's what inspired your um, concept with homeroom to a certain extent, just yeah. understanding that there's, there's more to school and there's more to just like lumping all these, you know, kids together. Uh, I would love to hear about homeroom and what your mission was. Yeah. Uh, if you could dive into that. Totally. So um, like any startup, uh, the company had kind of this journey of here's what we were doing and here's what we were doing. But in reflection, I kind of think of homeroom as having three different phases. So when we launched in 2015, it was, okay, we know teachers want to make supplemental income. If you talk to teachers across the U.S., they are babysitting, tutoring, coaching, you know, working at Walmart. I mean, the results were just outstanding. People just are doing anything to make extra income. Then you have parents who, you know, to your point, being a young parent, how do we start to shape our child's learning? And 
when you send your child off to school, you don't get to choose what they learn. You don't get to choose what they're introduced to. And so I think we're seeing more and more, especially with the rise of millennial parents of, hey, there, we know this incredible stuff exists. How do we start to shape it into our, our child's learning? And so we were trying to play off these two ideas. Parents are looking for more. Teachers know this more, like how do we connect them and, and help them make money? And so mm -hmm. phase one was like, oh, we're going to do these like really cool small group lessons. A teacher can write like anything they want. You know, they're not bound by a curriculum. If they want to do a lesson on flight, if they want to teach um, kids all about um, Frozen that was like really big years ago and like do a play on Frozen, like just play off of what kids loved. Um, so we were creating these small little groups. And it was interesting and it was kind of working and parents wanted to do it. But, you know, what becomes difficult is there's this like, I want to do it versus how does it fit into my schedule? And yeah. so operationally, it was hard to scale because, you know, you might say, oh, we're interested in it for our daughter. And then you try to find friends and they're like, well, we're available on Tuesday. And you're like, well, we're available on Wednesday. And so it was just yeah. really hard to scale. Um, so that was kind of like phase one. Phase two was we started actually hosting these classes on elementary school campuses. So the elementary schools were bringing in different enrichment vendors, a chess program, a karate program, art, carpentry. And we were like, well, we should just start hosting our classes there. So we started hosting at local schools in the Bay Area, our classes. And what we found was the classes started selling out right away because wow. the kids are all ending school at the same time. So it's perfect. It just extends the school day. So that was really successful for us. Um, our margins were really good. Um, you know, we were able to pay our teachers $60 for a one hour class, which is no really way. great money for them. Yep. And then, you know, we're charging parents about $20 per hour. And so if you've got, you know, you've got your students in there, they're each paying 20, you know, you're breaking even once you hit three students. And so um, we had really great margins, but again, this idea of scale started to happen and we were already on, um, the path of having raised um, capital from investors. And so we, we were always thinking about growing larger. And um, what would happen is even though that $60 an hour was really great for the teacher, the teacher had to commute there, they had to commute mm -hmm. back, they had to prep for it. And so even though $60 an hour sounds great, there was more hours involved and they were looking to do more hours. And so um, it was hard because this teacher might be available Monday, Wednesday, but this campus can only do Monday. And then we're trying to find them another school to do Wednesday. Um, so again, interesting, kind of closed, not quite there. Then that led, led, um, led us to phase three, which for us was our like big success. So we were already on the campuses. We saw what was happening. And um, at a lot of public school campuses in the US, the um, PTA or the PTO, the Parent Teacher Association, is actually organizing these classes. So they are saying, hey, how do we bring in classes for after school, chess vendor, karate, et cetera. And we were working with all these parents and we noticed a trend where, you know, three times a year, fall, winter, spring, they would email us, okay, send us your registration link, tell us about your class. And we realized, well, what are the tools that this parent has to use? This volunteer parent is, you know, hacking together Google spreadsheets and, you know, these mm -hmm. email campaigns. And we were like, we should build a solution for them because these on-site programs are already happening. So how do we make it easier? And so we built that spring of 2018, 
we were like running low on capital. We were like, okay, I think we finally know what we need to do. We're going to launch it in the fall. Um, we went to one of our investors. He's incredible. We've worked with him for years. We're like, Charles, we're so close. And he goes, okay, here's a little bit more cash, like make it happen. And so we convinced nine schools to let us run their entire program. Um, and they, that launched fall of 2018 and within the first month, parents had spent, um, about $400,000 on homeroom and people were going, that's a lot of money for parents to spend in just the month of August. And they were like, yeah, parents spent a lot of money on, on their kids and in after school. And so, um, from that momentum, we went and raised, um, a, a series seed round, um, led by forerunner and we just like started to put our heads down and double down on growth. And um, what our model was, was that we would go and talk to the, the parent volunteers and say, hey, use Homeroom to manage your program. And they were kind of our wedge into this larger marketplace. Mm. When they said yes, they then told their on average nine vendors that they worked with to, to set up their accounts on Homeroom. And then the parents marketed to the parents of the school, hey, book your classes on Homeroom. So all we had to do was to get that parent volunteer to like what we were building, and then they would bring us both sides mm-hmm. of our market. Um, so it was a really successful model. And people didn't realize that across the US, public schools, parents were spending on average about $100,000 across the campus on after-school classes. And so each school for us, was like $100,000 flowing through our platform. And so, um, yeah, so we launched that fall 2018. It was like, okay, we're on to something. We raised some money. Yeah. And then it was just like go time. We put our heads down. We grew like crazy going into fall of 2019, which was also when I was planning my wedding, which was a horrible idea. Oh, geez. <laughs> yeah, I, I was like literally on calls with parents. And I was like, oh, by the way, I'm going to be off this weekend because I'm getting married. Um, <sighs> So we were at about 70 schools in fall of 2019 and parents spent, um, it was like, I think it was around like $3.5 million in August. And so this like small team of 15, we just had like classes would go live and it was almost like ticket sales. You know, parents are like, I got to get into the chess program. They're like sitting online at like 6.59, seven o'clock would hit and classes would sell out in like less than a minute. And so it was this just like a crazy adrenaline. Like I had a really incredible team behind me. Um, Everyone was working really hard and, and um, yeah, we just, we just grew like crazy. And then um, heading into 2020, we were like, okay, we've had, we've hit product market fit. We've grown large enough that we know what we're doing. We're getting attention from, from schools and from investors. Um, now was the time, the big question for all you know, companies is how do you nail your business model? How do you make sure that you're building a long-term profitable business? Um, and my co-founder and I were kind of working through that and working through, you know, do we take on more, more capital and from who? And, um, you know, ultimately her and I just realized through those conversations that we had different visions for the company. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've been working together for five years at the, almost five years at that time. Um, and so, um, we actually parted ways in February, um, that company was my life. I loved it. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, um, we did part ways and this happened about two weeks before COVID hit. And so, um, so, so since then the company has gone in a different direction and tried different things, understandably trying to pivot just with what's been happening with online schools. But, um, but yeah, so I actually, um, 
left the company in February and thought like, what the heck do I want to do with my life? And then COVID hit. And then I was like, what the heck do I want to do with my life? Wow. I'm so excited to hear what you're up to now. Um, but I would like, yeah. you mentioned the three phases and yeah. you know, it took you, I don't know how many years that was ultimately, Long I guess maybe, maybe three years, but to find, yeah. Hey, it's the PTA we need to focus on. Was yes. there, I mean, was there discouragement or, uh, doubt that you were going to figure it out? And then, um, what was it like when you were like, Oh my gosh, okay. We finally found out what works. This is what we're going to do. Yeah, no, it's a great question. I mean, you know, every startup has a different journey and I'm, yeah. I'm very envious of those who hit product market fit early on because yeah. when you start to hit it, you know, and in the beginning you, you're like trying to force it. You're like, well, there's something interesting here. Um, I think what was hard for us was because our company had been around for so long, we had started to build relationships with teachers, with mm -hmm. these enrichment vendors, with, with parents. And I definitely learned like one of my faults was, um, I think they say like, like starting to say like no to things like saying like, Hey, we can't support you anymore. And I, I like my whole life, I've, I'm a relationship builder and I, and I was, it was hard for me. I, I probably was the one sometimes that wanted to linger on too long because mm -hmm. I was like, Oh, but like, you know, they told us that we were really helpful over here. And it's like, but that's not the scalable thing. We've got to kind of redirect. Um, yeah. so I think that's what gets hard is, is starting to say no to things like you see 50 customers and go, Oh, 50 customers is great. And you go, no, no, you need to focus on like the 20 that, that are really going to scale. Yeah. Um, there were definitely some like very pivotal moments in 2018. Um, it almost felt like that kind of like athletic adrenaline, like bringing this full circle where it's like, you know, the like last two minutes of the game and you're just like, like there were nights where I was up so late and I was like, okay, but I know we're onto it. It was like this, again, this feeling, I was like, okay, I, I'm having these conversations. Like we were beating out a competitor of ours and I was like, okay, like we are different. Like we are pushing through. Um, but starting a company is no joke. It is, yeah. it's a grind. Yeah. Um, I love, you know, the ability to say no or the discipline to say no is so hard especially when it's like yeah. oh well you know they're gonna pay us if we do this and maybe we could just totally. slightly veer off path so we can get paid um yeah but yeah okay what are you up to now christina i'm so excited yeah so i think the big thing for me which is also a, a trend in 2020 which is really great was um focusing on self-growth so i like took some time off um i again, it almost felt like I was going through this phase of like, okay, in college, my identity was rower. After college, my identity was teacher. After teacher, it was homeroom. And then all of a sudden I was like, what is my identity? And, um, I definitely have a lot of thoughts about how unfortunate it is sometimes about how we do just get grouped into one identity and feeling mm -hmm. like what, what is my next purpose? Um, so yeah, so I, I focused on a lot of self-growth. I, worked with a counselor. I worked with a career coach. I was, I basically was paying someone to help me do the things that I like wasn't self-disciplined in doing like, okay, tell me how to sit down and like write the things I think I'm good at, or like, tell me how to write the things that like I don't want to do. And, yeah. um, I did some really good exercises on like, okay, homeroom was a great experience, but if you were to just focus on like 
the pieces of being a founder that you enjoyed, what were those as opposed to the things you did just because you believed in the company, mm-hmm. um, put all this together and was like, okay, I'm going to join a late stage company. It's going to have product market fit. It's going to be really stable. You know, maybe it'll be a nice like financial boost. Um, being here in the Bay area, you know, there's so many great startups. And then I was having conversations with companies and I realized that I really care about a company's mission. And for me coming out of homeroom, I've been a teacher. I love working in education, but I actually found that I loved working with parents. I loved the feeling of giving them a product that made their life easier that empowered them with information they didn't have before, that connected them with other individuals in their same position. And so um, I'm fortunate to be part of this group called FamTech. Um, so it's companies building business in the family space. A um, lot of different businesses, but this is this incredible network of women tackling everything from like infertility to women getting back into the workforce post having kids to um, employer benefits. How do we get employers to be more aware of what families needs are? Um, So I was talking to some companies in there and I met this one woman and I was just like, I just like her energy. I like what she's doing. Um, Of course the company was like four people. Um, You know, they'd been at it for a little over a year or just, I think they're coming up on a year. Um, And I was like talking to my husband and I was like, okay, I know I said I wasn't going to go early again, but I don't know. I just, I'm excited. And so I, um, ended up joining them in August and it's been super exciting. It's been really fun to double down on the the talents and skills that I learned from homeroom and to take it to a different company. Um, I've heard people talk about like how much easier it is after your first company. You're like, oh, all those things I had to learn. Oh, now I already know that I'm you know gonna start a little higher. Uh, so yeah, so started working with them. So about, gosh, it's already end of um, October. So like almost three months now. Wow. Uh, and we are focused on building um, the family iOS. And so the idea that in our work lives, we have all these incredible tools to manage communication, manage tasks, projects, but in our household, we're trying to hack these together. You know, how do we communicate with our spouse who's doing pickup? How do we communicate the grocery list, the to-dos? Um, you know, so many families have those like calendars on the fridge. They're like, here's kind of like how we manage things. And so the idea behind this company is how do we build a tool from the ground up with families in mind where, you know, ultimately there's always going to be one parent, usually the woman who's kind of more of like what we call our quarterback, who's like always relaying the information to either Mm -hmm. your spouse or uh, another caregiver. And so, um, the idea is not, how do we lighten their life, but how do we also better involve, you know, you being again, a, a new, um, dad, like I'm, I'm sure as you guys navigate this relationship, there's always an excitement for both of you to be involved, but like, how do we make that communication easier? So yeah. we're still early, uh, wow. but it's been really exciting. Christina, I would love to connect after this. Our whole yeah. purpose and all the content we put out is to, um, inspire families to be more connected. And, uh, and I I mean, that's our, that's our whole thing is like, how can we, how can we 
share whatever we've done right or wrong with the world. And we do that through content, yeah. but I feel like, um, I totally. feel like there's a lot of things we could discuss, but yeah. I do before I ask the ending question, you've mentioned product market fit several times and it's yeah. somewhat self-explanatory, but tell us what that is. Yeah, no, great question. Um, so yeah, I think everyone, <laughs> there's like a general definition, but then everyone would describe it a little differently because when yeah. you're, when you're so deep into your own company, you think you have product market fit. It's not till like later that you actually look back and go, okay, that's when it hit. Um, and I will say like it, from my own experience and talking to others, you sometimes think you hit it before you have. And again, it's like that reflection later, but really it's when the product that you're building is both naturally growing and hitting your customers in the right way. You're not having to force this, like, Oh, this might be a great idea. This might be this great mm. thing. It's this, you're taking your company from a, Oh, this is kind of a nice to have to you know it's now become a need to have it's, it's part of your customer's daily lives or, or whatever the product is They're They are reliant on it for whatever your service is. So with homeroom, mm. the only way for our parents to book classes was through homeroom. And so we became this, like, you have to have this product at your school because otherwise it's this really broken, fragmented, right. um, world of having to like write yeah. a check over here and, and sign up over here. So, um, wow. yeah, it's like that, that meld of like everything coming together. The, the product has kind of hit your customers at the right time. You're able to like grow organically, um, and kind of double down on that. I recently read uh, good to great by Jim Collins and he talks about what I think is the hedgehog, the hedgehog concept. And he says, you know, imagine three Venn diagram, like three circles in a Venn diagram. The thing that you are both good at, you're passionate about, and you can get paid for, which is essentially what, you know, the product market fit yeah. uh, is, is, you know, the overlap of what those three things are is what you should pursue. But anyway, I think it's a really important concept. I, I know a lot of people who, you know, think of a, a great idea or it might even be like a great song or video or whatever or movie. And it's like, I'm going to make that, but there's no demand for it. The, the, you know, the, there's no problem that it solves in the marketplace or, yeah. or like the people that make people want to dive in. But, yeah. uh, I'm curious, you have such a breadth of experiences, Christina, when you look back over, you know, the past couple of years and how you've gotten to where you are, what are three takeaways that you've learned or maybe someone shared with you, uh, that you could share with us? Yeah, I think, um, invest in relationships is definitely one of them. Um, whether it's your coworker or a customer that you're serving, even if they're not the right customer today, it's so funny how small the world is and how interconnected things become and how many times people or things circle back. And so I always am a big believer in really investing in those relationships, mm -hmm. being honest, if you know, your product's not the right for them in that moment, but still keeping a really good relationship with them. Um, yeah. I like love when customers I've worked with, you know, a couple of years ago, or even when home first started, like we're still bumping into each other or they'll reach out to me because they, they knew I was a teacher and they're looking for advice on something else. So I'm um, big believer investing in relationships. Um, I also think, uh, if you're starting a company 
the team you're surrounded by, they become your family. You spend so much time with them, um, more than you do with your spouse. And so I think, uh, not only is it important to just create like a really like happy, healthy environment, but I also think um, setting the right expectations, um, something that one of my team members pointed out to us early on, sorry, not early on, later on, and I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't even realize this was happening, was because I was online a lot as a founder, it created sometimes a dynamic for him to feel like he needed to be online. and so being open and saying like, oh, you might see me online, but I don't expect that from you. So even though I was kind of like sad in that moment that he had felt this pressure, at the same time, I felt good that we were in an open enough environment that he was able to at least tell me yeah. that. And so having a really good open dialogue um, with your with your team that you're building this, because you know, whether you're the founder or you're an early employee, like it's not going to get done unless you guys are all doing it together. The, the founders right. have the ideas, but the team is really what's executing. Um, yeah. That's definitely a second one. And then the third one is um, something that I've tried to do in the last kind of like eight months after leaving homeroom, which is like invest in yourself. And I uh, definitely am guilty of having given up a lot of like hobbies or, you know, just like for fun things for myself. And this last eight months, I've, I've spent a lot of time going, well, what makes me happy outside of work? What else can I yeah. do? Um, my husband has so many hobbies. I can't keep up with him. He's like this crazy athlete constantly picking up new things. And so um, the last couple of months of quarantine, I've just been like, trying to do new things. I've been like popping into like different workshops to try to like learn new skills. Um, I'm somebody who is, you know, constantly talking about um, athleticism today. Like I love going to fitness classes and I found a studio that's doing classes outside. And I was like, people like getting my, you know, like yeah. endorphins going early in the morning. So um, I've just found like, if I actually take that time to invest in myself, I'm more present and available in, in my professional life. Yeah. Wow. That's really good. Another book. Sorry. I've, I've mentioned three books. I, yeah, I really please. don't read yeah, that much, keeps, but, uh, I, the ruthless elimination of hurry kind of talks about that concept of like, Hey, it is great to have really purposeful work that you love doing, but don't forget that a lot of the best part of life is, you know, in things like fitness class or like, you know, like doing things you love, whether that's fitness or going on a hike or, you know, building a ladder. I don't know what, I don't know what people build. I'm, I'm not that kind of guy. But yeah. anyway, um, Christina, I think you have a fantastic story. I'm so excited to see what next comes next with you. Um, and I appreciate you giving us the time. It was really an honor to meet you. Yeah, it was great to meet you as well. And thanks so much for having me. I um, look forward to hearing all the other stories you, you round up. Yeah, this will be fun. We'll talk, I'm sure. Sounds good.